0: Dear Prudence.
1: Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence.
0: Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear, Prudence. Dear, Prudence. Dear, Prudence. Dear Prudence. Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you.
1: Welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show. I, as always, am your Dear Prudence or Mallory Ortberg, whichever you prefer. And I'm actually on my own this week. We have no guests. So if you tuned in hoping for any conflict, you're just going to have to hear me fight against the angels of my better nature or better angels of my nature. I misremember the quote. I talk a lot. Uh, both here on the podcast and in other areas of my life about commercials that I hate because I watch a lot of television and I have a lot of feelings that I can't keep to myself. I've talked to you about the University of Phoenix ad that just completely mangles if I only had a brain. I've talked to you about that awful Panera Bread commercial where someone promises you salads that have not been dropped in the dirt. Uh, But now I think there's a new one that's actually ready to claim the crown of worst commercial of 2016. And it's actually from the ad council, who you would think would know what they were doing. Um, These are the people who brought you Smokey the Bear. Uh, But they are responsible for one of the worst ads I've seen in a long time. It's uh, about uh, prediabetes and how to prevent it. It is a doctor and a patient. And the patient is a lady.
0: Marie, you have prediabetes.
1: Prediabetes? She finds out she has prediabetes and says, you know, her first reaction is she's a little stunned. She's a little upset. She says, ah, I can't have prediabetes. I'm a busy mom. I don't have time to eat right or exercise. I'm a busy mom. And this doctor. Gives her the most dramatic eye roll I have ever seen. Like a teenager and says, oh, you're a busy mom? I had no idea. Well, here's the group of people who are at risk for prediabetes. And he draws her a sarcastic little chart. And the little circle says, everyone who's ever existed, ever. And then over here are busy moms.
0: This is great news. Busy moms never get prediabetes.
1: Wait, what? Let me just...
0: Yeah, this is all the people at risk for prediabetes and way over here. Busy moms.
1: And she just stares at him in stunned silence because, you know, you don't go to the doctor hoping that they're going to, like, show you a rude chart. Uh, and then he tries to high five her. She does not accept the high five. No. And it cuts to black. Whew. I thought at first maybe it was an ad for like, hey, doctors, you should develop really good bedside banners because otherwise you'll alienate patients um, and they won't take take your advice. But no, it appeared to be an actual ad for if you're surprised by your diagnosis of prediabetes, your doctor is going to mock you, um, which I think is a really bad way to treat prediabetes. These, like, by the way, the ad council invented Smokey the Bear, which was like the problem at that point was sometimes people litter fire. How can we get them to stop? And I was like, well, let's go easy on them. They are throwing fire out the window and destroying just millions of acres of forest and like, you know, endangered animals, natural habitats. But we don't want to make them feel bad about it. So let's come up with a friendly bear who's giving you a very special job. Only you can prevent forest fires. You you special, special person. Just please don't throw, you know, on fire things from your car window. We'd really appreciate it. But you pieces of shit, if you get pre-diabetes, boy, oh, boy, are we going to have a laugh or two at your expense, you awful, awful person. So that wins just the worst commercial of the year award. I look forward to seeing what other contenders uh, make their way across my TV screen in the coming months. Once again, I am guestless in this studio, so uh, unless I want to have a conversation with the box of Kleenex or empty water bottles on the table, uh, I'm just going to have to tackle all of these myself, so I will do my best to argue these from as many points of view as I can possibly muster. Dear Prudence, my parents purchased an apartment for me when I got married. My husband and I eventually moved to a larger house but kept the apartment for investment purposes. I know we're incredibly fortunate, especially in this economy. My sister-in-law is recently divorced, broke, and has had trouble getting even basic child support from her ex. We've been helping out in various ways by dropping off groceries, paying for her car repairs, babysitting when she's at work, etc. Then she asked if she could move into our investment apartment. My husband thinks we should say yes, but this is way out of my comfort zone. She said it's just for a few months, but considering her financial circumstances, I wouldn't be surprised if this stretched out much longer. If she's still broke next year, how on earth could I ask her to move out once she's already in our building? My husband says he'll respect whatever I say, meaning I have to be the witch who says no to his broken, unhappy sister. Am I obligated to help out here significantly? Where can I draw the line? Oh, I really wish there was someone else in the studio, because then I could say, wow, what do you think? And formulate my own response. Uh, I am realizing now what a corner I have painted myself into. Um. I've had other questions in the past about sort of uh, how much should I help out an in-law or a relative where I've kind of come down strongly on the man, if you're able, you know, extend extend a helping hand. Um, This one feels a little bit more nuanced to me. Um, I, I, I think... Like, it's great that you guys are already helping out. It sounds like what you have been doing to help her out both financially and logistically when it comes to looking after her kids um, has been great. So it's not as if as if you've, like, really fallen down on the job. Like, you know, I commend you for, for being there for her during a hard time. That really sucks that she can't get child support. I mean, that's uh, really no fault of her own. And that's, that's really hard being a single parent. Um, I, I think I actually know where I'm going to talk myself into. Um, you know I, I I might feel differently if this were your apartment that you lived in because uh, it's it's really hard sometimes to invite someone else to move in, especially when you're married and you have a family of your own and you sort of clash with with a new roommate um, but uh, I, I think you should consider. I think you should consider offering the place to her. You don't say that you have like a tenant living there already. Um, I don't want to make too many assumptions, but it doesn't sound like there's somebody living there now you would have to kick out in order to give her this place. Um, so I think if it's if it's sitting empty right now, um, she's your husband's sister. She's really down on her luck. And, and again, it's not as if she she put herself in this situation which is not to say you should never help anyone who has been partly responsible for their own misfortune, just that that's another extenuating circumstance. Um, She's in a very specific time of crisis, um, and she's presumably got pretty young kids. Um, I I think you should consider, you know, uh, if it does stretch out to a year or two years, you know, there are worse things than not having an investment property for two years if it means the difference between having a place to live, and being, you know, effectively homeless for your sister-in-law. So um, I I do think I would lean toward offering the house to her. Um, I definitely think your concerns are valid. Like, I understand wanting to talk in advance, like, are we going to sign a month-to-month contract with you? Like, I think you should absolutely sign up a rental agreement with her, even if you're not going to charge her more than, like, a very nominal rent uh, from month to month, like I think you should have something that you sign so that there's a real feeling of this is a formal agreement. We're entering into this as, as partners. Um, this isn't just like an informal, you're crashing on the couch for a couple of weeks because ambiguity can often lead to uh, hurt feelings and confusion and, and missed expectations. So I think the clearer you can be about what it is that you're extending to her, uh, what it what are her goals, um, and, and what's a What's a vague time period that you all kind of hope to to limit this this visit to? um visit is not the right word. She's not visiting. Uh, I think that would be helpful, but I think you and your husband should talk it out like if you think i, I okay, like at most a year, at most eighteen months, but I really want to start using this afterwards. I think that's that's fine, but you know, this apartment was given to you. You have an opportunity to help somebody out who has little kids. I mean, I think if if, if the alternative is for her to look for, like, a, a shelter or to stay with other friends, like, to think of what that would be like for her children, that would be really hard. And if you have the ability to help her out and it wouldn't come um, at a big financial cost to you, um, I think you should consider it. I, th- I think I think that it would be something that you would be really glad to have done um, in the future and I don't think it's going to strike you an irreversible financial blow. So, all right, just to look at this from a different angle, uh, maybe there's something about the idea of having her in property that you own that's hard for you to get past. Um, And consider whether or not you and your husband would be able to, for example, help her pay rent uh, on a different apartment for six months to a year. Maybe that would be, you know, financially viable for you guys, as well as uh, sort of keeping you from feeling like, Oh, this rental property that I was really hoping to use to sort of save money for our own future or retirement or college fund for our children or whatever. Um, that's a little too intimate. I don't want to open that up to be a guest house. But uh, we do have the money and the resources and we want to help you have a place to live. So we'll help you find a place that you can afford and subsidize it until You know, a year from now, or until you're able to get child support or something. If 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 that's an alternative that feels more viable to you, you know, float that past your husband. See how he feels. There might be alternative ways to help her that don't involve moving her in. Um, But that's kind of a shot in the dark. We'll see. We'll see. I'm just trying to. I'm not even playing devil's advocate. I'm playing like slightly stricter boundaries having advocate. I think the devil's advocate would say, you know. Mean things. Scrooge things. You know, are there no workhouses? Are there no... There are no workhouses. So, no, that's no longer an alternative. (music) All right, this next letter does not involve anyone being, you know, possibly put out on the street, which already puts it in the top 10% of letters for me. Dear Prudence, my husband and I are vegetarians, and we're raising our son to be one too. We will let him decide what he wants to eat once he is an adult, and we have nothing against people who choose to eat meat. It's just not something that we want to do. My parents were always supportive of my choice. I quit eating meat at age four and are very accommodating of how we have chosen to raise our son. Our problem is my husband's family. They undermine us constantly. They'll offer us something vegetarian to eat and later inform us that there was ham in it, or they'll sneak lunch meat onto my son's plate after I've already made it and then throw an outrageous fit when I won't let him eat it. All of our requests to respect how we are raising him are met with things like, your beliefs are stupid. Well, this last week, I had to go on a business trip and they volunteered to look after our son while my husband worked. Before I left, I packed him more meals and snacks than he could ever eat. While I was at my conference, you guessed it, my mother-in-law sent me a picture of my son eating a cheeseburger with a caption, see, he's not dying. Prudence, normally that would be bad enough, but shortly after that, he got food poisoning so bad that they had to call an ambulance. He spent two days in the hospital. I don't want him ever to go back there alone, but I also don't want to take him away from his family. Should I give them another chance? Is it too much to ask that they abide by my dietary wishes, the same as if he had a food allergy or if there were religious reasons? Also, should they be responsible for the very large hospital bill Well, this letter just has everything, doesn't it? Um, I think it's really easy for people to bring preconceived ideas about vegetarianism to uh, a letter like this. So uh, I'm going to try to not make any value judgments about the diet you and your husband have um, or or anything about vegetarianism in general, uh, other than to say it's a perfectly healthy way to eat. And it's perfectly reasonable uh, to want to raise your child as a vegetarian, especially given, uh, as you do, have the understanding that someday he might decide that he wants to eat meat and you'll let him do that because he's his own person or or will be, you know, when he's finished becoming a person. He's person adjacent right now. yeah. I, I mean, it doesn't sound like you're being really unreasonable. Like, oh, man, if my son is ever near chicken broth, I'm just going to lose it. Um, you're, you're making a pretty basic request, which is just like, please don't give him lunch meat when there are alternatives. Um, and it's it's not just that your in-laws are... Not willing to make special meals like you're taking on the extra labor of, of making vegetarian meals for your son. You're not even asking them to do extra work. Um, they're getting some kind of perverse delight out of pointing out to you how silly they think being a vegetarian is and how funny it is to give him a cheeseburger um, and, and, and let you know that like... You're you're being ridiculous, which I don't think you ever implied that you thought if he ate a cheeseburger he would die. Um, I think they're they're reacting to a lot more than what you are putting out there. Um, yeah, I, I I think if he got food poisoning that bad, uh, it's pretty fair of you to say, hey guys, I love you a lot and I love when my son's with you, but if you can't abide by some pretty reasonable rules, like. You're not going to be able to spend time with him without me. That's a pretty appropriate boundary to want to draw. I think if you were to give them the hospital bill, that would probably start a pretty big fight. Uh, I mean, frankly, if it were me, if I were looking after someone and, and I took their kid somewhere that they got really bad food poisoning and went to the hospital for two days, I would be like prostrate outside at the door just like begging for forgiveness and throwing all my money at them um, because I, I really don't want to give a kid food poisoning. So if 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 they haven't already offered that doesn't speak very well of, of kind of their feelings towards you guys as part of their family um, – that said, I think handing them the hospital bill, I don't foresee that ending well it would It would certainly feel good in the moment, especially because they've really been going out of their way to needle you, uh, and their needling has blown up spectacularly in their own faces. Um, but I just think if you say, "Hey, here is a two thousand dollar or five thousand or whatever dollar bill uh, for the ambulance ride, pay it at your earliest convenience. They probably won't pay it um and unless you want to go to small claims court with your family over it, it might be worth just handing off to your insurance um, and seeing what they can do with it. Um, You know, your family best. If, if there's a chance they would want to pay for it, you can certainly ask. You can, you can certainly say, Hey, love it. If you would chip in for the hospital bill that you sent my son to, I don't know if you remember when you sent my son to the hospital, but that costs money. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I would say, I think the most important thing at this point is it's really great that your son ended up being okay. Um, And, Your in-laws have made it really clear that um, whenever they have your son and you're not around, they're going to, like, have a lot of fun throwing pepperoni at him. And I think that's kind of creepy. And they should chill the hell out. Like, it's not that big a deal if your son wants to—if you want to raise your son as a vegetarian, he's fine. If he wants to have a burger when he's 18, he'll have a burger. And then, you know, oh, no, he spent the first 18 years of his life not eating burgers. That's okay. What do we got next? Oh, all right. This one is something is afoot. This is about things that are going unsaid, but make people deeply uncomfortable, which is one of my favorite type of uh, things. Dear Prudence, I don't know if I'm sensing something that isn't there, but I'm deeply uncomfortable. A good friend of mine is going through a divorce. It's been mostly amicable and actually good for her. She's become more confident and outgoing. I'm happy for her that after over a decade in a deeply unhappy marriage, she's finally getting her groove back. The problem is I feel she may be directing it at my husband. Lately, when she visits our house, my husband and I have both noticed that she focuses her attention primarily on him. She's become unusually invested in being friends with both of us. Before, she was mostly my friend, but... Now when she visits, she's very enthusiastic about him. She once offered him a massage while I was in another room. He declined and later told me he thought it was weird. More recently, she stopped by unexpectedly and seemed very disappointed to find that my husband wasn't home. She asked when he would arrive no less than four times. We were never the kind of talk-all-the-time friends, but now she texts me almost every day and wants to hang out constantly. It's just weird. I trust my husband. I don't think it's a thing that's actually going on between the two of them. I'm just not sure that I trust her. And I'm thinking it's time to put our friendship on ice. What do you think? Am I overreacting? I love letters like this because it is so clear that you have the correct read on the situation. Uh, like, something's definitely there. You are accurately assessing your friend's behavior. There is nothing going on that you have somehow misinterpreted or overreacted to. She's not secretly planning a surprise party for you with your husband, and when they throw it, you're going to feel like a jerk, because for months and months, she's been like, where's your husband? Is he here? Does he need his back massaged in some sort of way? Because I'm available. Like, yeah, man, your friend's flirting with your husband. And it sounds like it makes him uncomfortable, too. Like, I'd sure feel uncomfortable if some friend of mine stopped by and, like, waited for my partner to leave the room and then was like, do you want a massage? Um, Maybe some people would love that, but it sounds like your husband didn't, and he told you for a reason. Um, And because she's your friend, you get to be the one to, I think, gently at first and then more firmly, if she gets a little shirty about it, uh, let her know, hey, you seem really happy since your divorce. I'm super excited. You've also uh, been hating on my husband a little bit. I've noticed it. Like, you ask about him a lot. Uh, he told me you offered him a massage, and it makes him uncomfortable, and I'd like you to stop. And there are some people who I think the prospect of having that conversation, especially when so far everything's been sort of murky and just below the surface, sounds like, oh, I'd rather just never call her again. Um And you certainly could. Like, if you hate conflict and you never really liked her that much anyways, you could certainly just sort of stop replying to her texts and not being home when she shows up. But... If she's normally a good friend and she's going through kind of a really tumultuous time, she might actually appreciate some feedback. Like, it's very possible that she is directing a lot of, like, outgoing romantic energy at a lot of inappropriate candidates. And uh, other people are feeling similarly. And it has a lot to do with the sort of time and place she's at right now. Um, and if somebody would say, hey, you need to knock that shit off. uh she would probably be embarrassed in the moment. She probably wouldn't like it, but it would eventually be helpful as she can kind of realize, oh, right, just because my marriage is over uh, doesn't mean I should then, like, turn all of my sort of pent-up sexual energy at, like, every person I run into. Um, you're married to your husband. You're not in an open relationship. It's very appropriate for you to tell a friend, please stop flirting with my husband. Um, and if she says, I'm not, you know, you're not there to get into an argument. Like, you can just kind of point out, I just want you to know both... Timothy and I have noticed this behavior and it makes us uncomfortable. And if she tries to fight you on it, you can say, you can just kind of back off at that point. Like, look, I just wanted to tell you. We've noticed it. It makes us uncomfortable. I'm not here to argue about it with you. Please knock it off. Uh, and, you know, if she responds to that pretty well, if she's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. I didn't realize. I'm just so, like, free after years of being in a bad marriage. and 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 now I'm just so excited. I really apologize. It was unintentional. I'll I'll calm down. Great. Like you've preserved a friendship and you've drawn a boundary. And if she blows up, if she tries to fight about it with you, if she denies it, then you get to know this is probably not a friendship that's going to deepen with time because she can't uh, handle pretty reasonable criticism. But yeah, you're not imagining it. You're not being bananas. Um, You're definitely accurate. And, uh, you know, don't offer people massages unless you're pretty sure they want one. You know, I just think that's a good piece of life advice in general. Like, don't just be going around saying, like, who wants a massage? Like, wait for someone to say something like, I'd really like a massage. Or my back is so sore. If only someone were massaging it. Uh, You know, like, read the room, right? Like, read the room. Don't be like, ah, your wife's out of the room. Like, do you want an eight-minute massage before she comes back with, like... Whatever she left the room to get, uh, yeah, yeah, no, she's 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 totally being inappropriate, and you get to say stop. All questions are the same, right? All questions are: where do I draw a boundary? How much of me does someone else get to have access to? Uh, when can I say no? Who should I push away? Who should I draw closer? Uh, How do I express what I want? They're all the same question. It's all the same journey. Uh, We're all here to figure out how mad we're allowed to get at other people. Uh, Let's let's dive in. Dear Prudence, my dad and I have a complicated relationship. On the one hand, he takes great care of me. He's even paying for my college education. I'm an only child. On the other hand, he knows that I'm bisexual, and his comments about queer people are just disgusting. He says that we millennials are a sick generation— that I've been brainwashed into being gay, that gay people don't deserve respect or rights, and that they, quote, made up their past abuses like Stonewall. He's also kind of a misogynist and suggested that I provoked a former boss into sexually harassing me. When I get upset about comments like this, he suggests that I ought to grow up. On one hand, I love him, he's my dad. On the other hand, if he weren't my dad, I would never want to know him. I'm financially dependent on him and we are very close. I'm in college just 10 minutes away from my parents' house. What do I do? Do I move far away and cut contact when I can? Demand he apologize or chalk it up to family differences? There's so many questions that I get that run this really wide spectrum between there's a really wonderful relationship here worth preserving, but there's an issue you two need to talk to talk about, but once you do, you're going to be closer and love each other more as a result. All the way to this person is probably never going to stop trying to harm you, and it is for your own self preservation and sanity that you should completely cut them out of your life. And there's a lot of stuff that falls in between that. And I never want to recommend casually or or thoughtlessly that somebody cuts a family member out of their life, <clears throat> because that can be really painful. That's a really drastic decision. Um, not to say that people can't, you know, have that in their back pocket. Like if you do feel at some point in your life, like you need to cut off contact with somebody, it's certainly an option, but it's a big one. It's the nuclear option. And not everyone wants to or is able to do that, even with really, you know, difficult, sometimes infuriating family members, um, even just keeping someone at arm's length. But knowing that they're still there, that you can still talk occasionally, that there's moments you can share that aren't about the really hard things like that's there's value to that. So I want to be mindful of that when I answer this question, because, you know, just reading this letter, kind of a lot of red flags are going up, especially the line about if he weren't my dad, I wouldn't even want to know him, which is followed immediately by we are very close. And I so get that. I so hear that kind of relationship that's like, I love this person. And we have not only nothing in common, like we are opposed to each other on a really primal level. And it's, it's hard to imagine how you can be close to someone without truly knowing them. And if your father doesn't believe that your being bisexual is like an honest and legitimate part of who you are, and if he thinks you belong to a generation that is, like, entirely sick, um, and if he thinks that people like you don't deserve, you know, the right to, to marry someone they love or not be fired for their sexual orientation, I, if he, th- he thinks that it's your fault that someone sexually harassed you, like, I wonder how much does he really know you? Um, which is not to say that you should reevaluate your entire relationship, but um, I, I do think that intimacy requires trust and truth, um, and acceptance. And and I think there are ways in which he's made it really clear, hey, this big core part of who you are, I reject entirely. And in order for me to love you, I need to think of that as some alien thing that's been grafted onto the real you, not part of who you are. And I think that is always going to be a barrier between the two of you, unless and until um, he is able to let go of that. So, you know, do I think that you should move across the country and cut off contact with him once you've got college paid for? Not necessarily. Um, Not if a part of you likes having him in your life. Not if you're not, like, if you think, I want to become financially independent. I don't want to have to have these conversations on a daily basis. Um, I want to put some distance between us. I absolutely encourage that. But no, you are not obligated to cut off contact with him if you do not want to. That said. It cannot feel good to live with someone who believes that gay and bisexual people uh, are somehow less than human. And I hope that if you are not already, you are saving up as much money as you can to find a place to live even 10 minutes away. Uh, Even even so just that at the end of the day, when you go home and you go to sleep, it's in your own place. And that you can control uh, to a certain degree how much you hear this sort of wave of hateful noise coming at you because that takes a real toll. Um, and, and that's really damaging. And I hope, you know, that like you probably didn't provoke your boss into sexually harassing you because actually no one can make you sexually harass someone. You kind of have to choose to do that. Um, and I don't know if your dad's the kind of person where you could say that to him, like if he would respond to that, but, but I really encourage you like, You don't have to listen to him when he says those things. And if you feel right now that because he's paying for your college, uh, I'm obligated to sit in silence or I'm obligated to hear him out or I'm obligated to not make waves. Like, that's not true. Like, you can leave the room. You can say, Dad, you've made it really clear that you feel this way. Like, I'm bisexual. I'm a full person. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm real and I matter. Um, And if you can't talk to me like a a person, I'm going to leave the room. And, and to do that, and I encourage you to do that, um, if you feel like he would withdraw financial support from you, if you were to try to stand up to him when it comes to your queerness or when it comes to being a woman, um, you know, I would encourage you to think really carefully, like, figure out financial alternatives if you're afraid of that, like, what would you do if tomorrow he says, you need to stop being bisexual this minute or I'm not going to pay for college, um, like, are there scholarships that you could get? Um, are are there other relatives who would be willing to support you? Could you get a job? Like, um, I want you to be able to protect yourself because uh, I'm worried that his support is really conditional um, based on sort of your willingness to take a certain amount of emotional abuse from him. Um, yeah, I would say. Start drawing some boundaries between yourself and your dad wherever you can. And whether that's finding your own place, whether that's saving up enough money so that after college you're able to, you know, move to a place where you're not dependent upon him. Uh, or even just sometimes when he's saying these horrible things, like being able to leave the house, go take a walk, call somebody that you care about um, and and who listens to you. Um, but put put some space between yourself and, and this noise. um. But, yeah, I would say ask yourself um, how much time and space am I willing to give to my dad if he never changes? Like, if I speak up and I say all these things like, hey, dad, like, here's something you can read to educate yourself about, like, LGBT rights in this country. Um, Here's something I wish you would consider when you talk about women because I'm a woman and I'm your daughter. Um, And if you say all those things to him and he doesn't change – you know, ask yourself, how much of my dad can I handle having in my life? And I think you're kind of the only person who can answer that question. Um, you're not obligated to cut him off, and you're not obligated to say, well, he loves me, so I just have to accept that this is who he is. You don't have to. Um, you get to make a choice, and the fact that he's paying for your college education does not give him a right to tear you down um, or make you feel like there's something wrong with you because you're a woman or because you're bisexual. Um I think it's totally fair of you to say, like these things hurt me, and I wish you wouldn't say them. Like you absolutely get to say that. You absolutely can ask for an apology, Um, and 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 look at how he responds to that. Like if he responds by saying, "No, I don't owe you an apology. No, that's not really who you are. No, you're misunderstanding me. You know, take him at his word. If if he really can't hear you when you say those things." then that's just another piece of information that you get to use when you decide what you want your life to look like. Like your adult life is going to be what you want. Um, And if that means talking to your dad a couple times a year and kind of tuning him out when he goes into his his little gay rants, um, maybe that'll be it. Maybe at some point you'll decide, I can't talk to this guy. Maybe at some point you'll be able to say, dad, when you say these things about queer people, you're talking about me. It hurts me. It makes me want to move away from you. Maybe he'll listen, and maybe he'll change, and and maybe you'll be able to find a slightly um, more accepting and intimate relationship with him. But I, I would say, just ask yourself what what feels acceptable to you. Ask yourself what you feel comfortable with, and ask yourself how you can build a kind of life where you don't have to hear this on a daily basis. Um, this is really tricky. I wish I had a really good answer. I wish I could just say like no, like just just move away right now, like get out. But I, I can't tell you to do that to your dad if, if, if part of you feels like you want to keep some sort of relationship. Um, so I don't think you need to accept it. I don't think you need to chalk it up to family differences. Uh, I do absolutely think you can ask that he apologize and set boundaries. Um, and if you want to cut contact with him, you absolutely can. I don't care how much your college he pays for. Uh, you do not owe him a relationship if he can't like keep a civil tongue in his head. So, uh, really good luck with that. I think this is going to be kind of an ongoing process for you, and you'll have a lot to think about. and And I wish you the best. This next one is a listener voicemail from someone who is starting to feel like her former coworkers are also becoming former friends.
0: Dear Prudence. I recently got a new job after working in a pretty toxic place for a couple of years. Um, The only good thing about the job is that I made some close friends there. We talked about moving on all the time, but I'm the first one who actually did. Historically, I haven't been the greatest at keeping in touch with people, but I'm making a big effort to keep in touch with these friends since I care about them, but I get the feeling that no one wants to talk to me. They'll sometimes reply to texts, and they sometimes won't, um, and when they do, it feels really terse. And no one ever reaches out to me. I'm always the one reaching out to them. So I don't know if they're mad at me for leaving or if they just don't care about me as much as I care about them, but it's making me feel terrible. Should I keep trying to reach out or should I just assume they don't want to be my friends anymore?
1: I am very much of the mindset that if a coworker ever turns into a friend, that is a wonderful bonus, but not something to be expected. And I I also tend not to take it very personally if someone sort of fades out of my life. Uh, Obviously, like if a very dear friend of years and years and years disappeared, I'd be quite sad. But I, I think this is a situation where you probably shouldn't take it personally. Ah, uh, but just sort of like stepping back and looking at it, these are people you worked with at a pretty extreme environment. So you sort of bonded together, like at the end of Speed, when Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock say, like, you know, relationships based on like a shared mutual trauma never last, and then they joke about how they're just gonna have to have to have sex. Um, so you guys were really bonded together through a shared, really stressful workplace, and in some ways that made you guys bond really, really quickly in in a way that coworkers often don't, like. A, I often think of coworkers as really nice people I get to see during the day. And if we ever hang out outside of work, that is a nice bonus, but it's certainly not something I expect. Um, Which isn't to say you should feel the exact same way, just that that might be their mindset. Um, And especially since you got out and they are still there in the shit with the horrible boss, with the terrible policies, with the no vacations, with the overtime, with no overtime pay. and it's not necessarily that they're mad at you. It might just be that they have no energy. I mean, remember what it was like when you were in this toxic workplace uh, and probably how exhausted you were at the end of the day and how little time you had for socializing with somebody who wasn't currently a part of that. Like, they're probably exhausted and they probably don't want to catch you up on all the shit that's going on at work because they don't want to talk about it and explain it to somebody who who isn't there for the up-to-the-minute minutiae of what new shit has gone down today. So I think, you know, it doesn't sound like any of them feel like you've wronged them. It doesn't sound like any of them are saying never talk to me again. It just sounds like they're having less time for you than you had when you guys worked together. And I think you should probably chalk it up to the fact that they are still trapped in the job that you got to leave, probably a little bit jealous, um, certainly a lot tired, um, and Just let them fade. Uh, That doesn't mean you can never get in touch with them again. I have lots of friends where we only get together when I initiate things, and it's not because they don't care about me. It's just some people aren't big initiators, Um, and I think it would be a mistake to take this personally or think that it means they never cared about you. Um, I think you guys forged an unusual bond in the sort of trenches of this terrible workplace, and now that you have left, and they are still there, that bond is understandably uh, a little bit weaker. Doesn't mean they don't like you. Doesn't mean that you'll never see them again. Um, it just means that that you should probably accept that things are not going to go back to the way they were unless you rejoin them in the trenches and take back your old terrible job, which I don't think you should do. I think you should, you know, make friends at your new job, try to check in with these friends uh, now and again. And if they don't seem to be responding very positively, uh, you know, just let them drift. This next voicemail is about the little hills that we ask ourselves whether or not it's worth to die on. Um, and I love that kind of question. Hey, Prudy. So
0: my parents and I and my grandparents are going on a giant family trip to Europe um, later this summer. <laughs> uh, so I am a queer person with um, prodigious armpit hair and My mom has already started asking me to shave it for the trip. Um, They are not paying for this vacation, although they are paying for our apartment. So I bought the airfare. Um, I'm in my late 20s. I, you know, I don't live with them. We live in different states, different cities. But I really also don't want this to become a giant affair. So my question is... um, Do I have to shave my armpits for my family's grand European vacation? Unfortunately, it is not the kind of European country where women frequently do not shave their armpits. Um, I've Googled this extensively. So uh, just let me know. Um, It's not a huge deal, except that my parents tend to be a little bit dramatic about um, lots of stuff. So uh, I could see it becoming a point of contention throughout the trip. However, they're my armpits.
1: I love that kind of question because... So much of life uh, is made up of arguments and disagreements where sooner or later someone's going to say, it's about the principle of the thing. And that's always a really fascinating place to end up in because you never know when someone's going to think it's about the principle of the thing and not at all about the details of the situation. And sometimes the situations that I think are really about the principle of the thing are not. They're just about the thing itself. Um, So the question is... uh, do my parents have the right to tell me to shave my armpits? I'm a grown woman. I'm paying for my own airfare. You know, how 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 dare they dictate to me the the way in which I arrange the hair on my body? And then the other the other side is always who's willing to really go to the mattresses on this one. Like are my parents the kind of people who would ruin a European family vacation with their adult children because one of them has unshaven armpits? And so you have to sort of weigh, well, no one has the right to tell me what to do with my body hair against, do I want to have a fight about my armpit hair for two weeks in Prague or Budapest uh, or, or, or wherever it is that you're going that is European, but, but where everyone shaves? And that's a question that only you can answer because only you know your parents? And some parents are the kind of people who would say, oh, armpit hair, I don't like it. I wish you would shave it. But if you say, no, it's my hair, don't worry about it. They would let it alone. And some parents would just at every stop say, you know, I would really enjoy Vatican City a whole lot more if you shaved under your arms. Um, and sometimes you, you know, it might be worth shaving for two weeks to not get yelled at. But, um, You paid for your own ticket, man. Like, keep your armpit hair if you want to. Like, what? that's such a weird request. Like, it's not the 50s. People have unshaved armpit hair. That's a thing. The 70s happened. Nobody shaved during the entire decade. There was a musical called Hair. Like, how do your parents not know this? Um, Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say die on this hill you know what die on this hill unless you think your parents are just gonna like wake you up every morning just screaming and sobbing at the foot of your bed oh our daughter has armpit hair what a shame she's brought on the family escutcheon uh you know oh if only if only we had died when she was born we wouldn't have to live to see this terrible day like what the fuck are they gonna do it's armpit hair you're probably no yes die on this hill tell them that you appreciate the input. Uh, you have noted it in the minutes of your last family meeting. Uh, but unfortunately their vote did not carry the day you were keeping the armpit hair and they can fucking lump it. Please don't use any of that language when you're talking to your parents because they raised you and gave you life and you should respect them. Um, but just say no. Yeah. Just say, nope, not going to do it. And then whenever they bring it up, just smile and say suggestion noted. And that's it for me, folks. That's all the advice I have left for the day. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Casey Miner. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts, and Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. Okay, see you here next week. Idiot! You have pre diabetes! Even though our, like, Western society is totally set up in such a way to make that pretty easy to develop! You dumb bitch! Like, why? Why are you yelling at her a part of your treatment plan?